After Liverpool's 3-0 hammering at Wolves, Jurgen Klopp growled, refusing to speak to certain journalists and bemoaning his team's inability to do the most basic of defensive tasks. After Everton's incredible win over Arsenal, their new manager Sean Dyche growled, but that's because it's the only way he knows how to speak. On Monday, it's the Merseyside derby at Anfield and it could get ugly. I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. Now we only allow Mark O'Hare out of the bet cave in very special circumstances. He's promised that he's going to watch double the number of games tomorrow uh, just to make up for it. Mark, great to have you here. If we look at this game, it's extraordinary, really. Liverpool hit a new low at Molyneux, really. Whereas Everton, the impact of Sean Dyche, predictably transformative, I guess. Yeah, I think we were all quite positive on last week's show that Sean Dyche's appointment was a was a good thing for Everton and a significant step up on on his predecessor. Um, I wanted to avoid that game against Arsenal just because of the, the new manager bounce. And I said, you know, when a manager comes in who's significantly better than the last, you should see an improvement. Um, but I know a lot of people who were on Everton at nine to one and sort of said, I told you so, because it was almost kind of predictable, kind of entertaining that the league leaders in your first game at Goodison Park um, and everything Everton did was, was kind of predictable as well you know they, they just did the basics well and that's what James Klarkowski said in his post-match press conference uh, the players asked him for his opinions on, on Sean Dyche and what's it like working with him he said he's great he just asked you to be honest and, and do the basics well and that's exactly what Everton did and I think you probably all saw the the running stats as well of Everton running three four five miles more than any other game so far this season which is quite a damning indictment on, on Frank Lampard but in terms of <laughs> it wouldn't be football only better if we didn't have a dig at Frank Lampard say what two minutes two minutes into time. the show um <laughs> But uh, yeah, I was I was really impressed. Um, I thought uh, the defenders defended very well. The midfield operated brilliantly. They stretched the pitch wide with the width, and wingers got balls into the box. And, and Dominic Calvert Lewin was a threat throughout the game as well. We've not we've not seen that too often, really. So um, they'll take a huge amount of heart and confidence from that match. And they won't. You know, they'll fancy their chances at Anfield the way Liverpool are playing at the minute. So. Um, yeah, I mean, two teams in almost completely different mindsets going into this match too. And. You mentioned what happened at Molyneux with Liverpool. Um, yeah, it's, it's desperate, really, and uh, they've just lost the intensity in that middle middle of the park. Defensively, they look all over the place. There's no leadership there without Van Dijk and also Canate as well. So both of those two defenders, uh, the attacking wing-backs, don't look anywhere near as threatening or, or sort of uh, liable defensively. And, and going forward, uh, Darwin Nunes, I love him, so much energy about him, but um, there needs to be some sort of direction there. Cody Gakpo's trying to settle in. Mo Salah's not looked himself either. So, you know, there's a lot of worries for me about Liverpool. Um, the fact that they're top Premier League goal scorers since the World Cup break is, is actually uh, Leicester centre-half Wu Fies is, is quite worrying. <laughs> um, uh, they've only scored one goal in the last four games and they've lost three of them. I know most of those performances came away from home where they've been abject and at Anfield they have been better, but I looked at Liverpool to win this game they're at 1.5. <laughs> I couldn't be back in that price at all. Um, I know it's only one game to go off, but um, if Liverpool are struggling in both boxes, 
Um, you know, we, we talked about the start of the season, defensively, midfield, there was, there was issues, but going forward, they were creating chances. They're not doing that right now. Um, and I think this is potential for an upset. I've not got the balls to back Everton outright, um, like most people did last week, but you can back Everton at even money with a plus one start on the Asian handicap, which means even if Liverpool win the game by, by one goal, you get your stake back. Um, so Liverpool need to win by two or more to lose your bet. They've only won by two goals and were in three Premier League games all season. When you think about it, isn't it? Compared to, to last season, the year before, and, and throughout the Klopp era, basically, it's, it is extraordinary. So, um, you know, Everton have been ranked away from home for a long, long time, has to be said. But, uh, you know, with Brighton under De Zerbe and, and through other coaches as well, I think you start to have to, to treat them differently now with Sean Dyche in charge. And I know it's only one game, it's a one game sample. Don't want to get too overexcited, but the fact is, it's balanced out by Liverpool right now, too. So, uh, that's where I'm heading. Now, to stop him abandoning the show to go and talk to the postman and make a cup of tea, <laughs> we've actually flown uh, tipster and trader Emmett O'Keefe here just to keep him here uh, for the entire show. Emmett Mark's right, isn't he? You look at that match odds market, you look at Liverpool's price, it's deeply unappealing given how they're playing right now. Absolutely. It's kind of it's fascinating. It's kind of one of the interesting things I find as a trader is how do you kind of quantify recent form versus the kind of season long kind of um, sample size I guess like if you'd asked me this maybe six weeks ago I would have thought Liverpool would be closer to maybe 133, 1.4 but like given how, how badly they're playing and the kind of personnel issues I think yeah, there's, there's a strong argument that, 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 that they definitely should be bigger than, than, than their current price. I guess my only hesitation in terms of Everton would be just checking team news. I think Virgil van Dijk may be back for this game. I just, I'd want to see the, the Liverpool team, because if, if it is the Liverpool team that played against Wolves, it's extremely hard to find, kind of, <laughs> find any, reason to, any reason to back them at, at that price. You kind of wonder, I, I think it's, it's kind of interesting as well, it's kind of maybe we are seeing this with both Man City and Liverpool this year, just that the teams that really kind of went to the, went to the wall last season with the kind of intense schedule with the World Cup, is their kind of just both teams press is just notably off. You can yeah. see that in terms of sustaining attacks. Well, Liverpool are like ghosts, don't they? I mean, compared yeah. to what they normally do, like they're just a shadow of the team that they were. And everybody's gone on about a midfielder, haven't they? Oh, you need a midfielder. Yeah. You need this. You need that. But it's a team-wide thing. Like, nobody's doing it properly. I know. As, I think, as Mark said, the most worrying thing was in the first half of the season, Liverpool's defence was shaky. Their XG numbers were kind of down towards mid-table. But at least you, you could say this team has a defined strength. They're brilliant going forward. In the first couple of, couple of games back after, after the winter break, the attack did, did look potent. But now that's gone. As I was kind of saying last week, it's kind of... They have nothing they do well now, especially especially with the two centre-halves injured. And kind of, yeah, I think... I think Sean Dyche should be licking his lips just as well. Like I, I'm guilty of this as well being a bit of a football snob. But with regard to Burnley, tactics could also be about set pieces. If you just saw the way that they had it organised, where they had the McNeil corners going to the back post every time, they're pinning the goalkeeper, and they looked like nearly scoring off every set piece. And I think just that that is one thing Dyche can bring. Like as in, he might not be kind of an innovator in terms of like playing through the lines and the way we talk about kind of top European coaches but there is like there's so many set pieces that happen in a game if he can and he can add maybe five or six goals to Everton's total uh, uh, towards the end of the season that could be the difference between them staying up or staying up or not and Alisson does not like that when he has people crowded around him in the penalty area at set pieces doesn't enjoy that at all well, one thing I was going to say as well which I didn't mention 
Um, just looking at the raw numbers, the league table, the wins, draws, losses, who scored, how many goals and conceded. Uh, Liverpool have scored, conceded the same number of goals as Everton this season, which is quite remarkable considering how bad Everton have been. Yeah. They both conceded 28 goals and Liverpool are a, a top half team. You can't even call them a top six team right now. Yeah, and they've got a, and they've got a really good shot up in season from Alisson. Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, there's a nice positive uh, <laughs> yeah, section yeah. of the show for Liverpool fans there. Yeah. Um, we're making a few changes to our great daily offers here at Betfair, and you now have to opt in to promotions to enjoy the rewards available on both the Sportsbook and the Exchange, but you can opt in quickly and easily by clicking a promotional banner or going straight to the promotions page and clicking clicking opt-in. There is a step-by-step guide on betting.betfair.com. Now, confusingly, we've started at the end with Monday night's game, so let's take it back to a relegation six-pointer on Saturday between Southampton and Wolves. Just when you thought the Saints boss, Nathan Jones, couldn't get any weirder or more intense, he came out with a load of old hogwash after that 3-0 defeat at Brentford. Emmett, I know you've got to give managers time. I'm all for that, generally. But... I, I don't understand. I know he did well at Luton. I get that. But I cannot understand how a data-driven organisation, as Southampton now are, went down their list because they knew they were getting rid of Hasenhutl for weeks, if not months, and went, Nathan Jones, there we go. It's not working. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I, I, there was a good article by um, the journalist um, Sam Wallace who wrote about that all these clubs look at a list of kind of resources to performance in terms of managers. I think that's what Jones was kind of delusionally referring to last week in terms of like which ma- ha- which managers are outperforming their wage bill over or whatever Europe's top 10, 15 leagues. Well, pound for pound, he's the best in the world. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Along those lines. Uh, yeah, it's interesting, but he's, he's kind of... Yeah, yeah, just on that metric, he was re- Luton were really outperforming their wage bill there, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's a Premier League manager or those other skills are going to transfer. Obviously, things didn't go well from at Stoke, but I guess I just it's just like there's nothing to recommend Southampton here at the price. Like Southampton have lost eight of their last nine games, uh, and in the Premier League and the game they won. They lost on the XG to a hapless Frank Lampard-led Everton team, and they needed a kind of a James Ward-Prowse free kick to win. They're they're a terrible team at the moment under Nathan Jones. And as as you say, given his comments on Monday, there were kind of reports that the Samton board were kind of re- reviewing his position. And in terms of as a better, the time you want to bet against a team. Are the, are, is a time when the manager's on the verge of the sack and he's a kind of an unpopular manager. There's rumours of disquiet in the dressing room. I was probably looking for a slightly bigger price than uh, Wolves, a kind of 2.68 in the exchange, but I'm, I, 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 I'm, I'm just happy to back them, right, put them up as a bet, given how, given how much of a disaster Southampton are at the moment. And it feels like a game. And as well, Southampton, as, the, as I'm sure the listeners might know, isn't known for being a hostile crowd or kind of getting on the manager's back, but they've really turned against yeah. Jones. If Wolves get the first goal here, it's going to be really difficult for Southampton to come back. So I, I would probably, I'd probably do, yeah, a Wolves drawn, a, Wolves drawn a bet, but I would put a small stakes on maybe. Wolves maybe minus one or minus two in the handicap. So I think there, there, there is, I think, a high potential of a real disaster where um, Southampton go behind early, get beaten to maybe two or three nil, and, 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 and Jones is out on Monday. Yeah, I'm not sure they ever turn towards Nathan Jones to be able to turn away from him. Um, Mark, it shows, doesn't it, the value of getting your coaching 
appointments right because we were very positive about Julian Lopetegui even though he was sneaky and he went behind Spain's back and <laughs> negotiated with Real Madrid and he got caught out but he's made a transformative difference and if you get the right coach can make a massive difference yeah um I'm on Wolves' relegation from the start of the season, but I knew the bet was dead as soon as Lopetegui was was strongly linked and then the links went away because he wanted more time away. Um, then when they did get him, I, I knew the bet was dead because he's, he's that good. He's, he's probably the best coach down there in the bottom half. Um, I'd put Steve Cooper up there, but there's, there's a few others. Um, but uh, he's definitely up there. And I'd like the signings that Wolves have made as well in January. Um, a bit of experience in Dawson at centre-half, Lemina and in midfield um, and Cunha up front as well. Uh, Sarabia, a great pickup as yeah. well. Um, just strengthened, Five million euros. Yeah, strengthened and, and done it on a, on a reasonable scale for Premier League terms as well. Um, I said last week, I just like Wolves' squad actually. There's a lot of variety. There's, there's strength, there's physicality, there's also pace, there's trickery, uh, there's ball playing ability. There's versatility now in that squad, which perhaps they might have not have had previously. And, and the, the, sort of the, the weight on the forward line of Raul Jimenez you know, it's been lessened. He's obviously having a, a less impact on that team these days. But I think all round there's been a bit of an upgrade and we'll see organisation-wise, Wolves will just be much more difficult to beat than they were earlier in the season. Probably going back to the Wolves we, we've known in previous years when they've been very competitive against the bigger teams and picked off points against the lesser lights. So, um, yeah, I think Wolves are only trending upwards and, and Saints, as Emmett says, are, are in a bit of strife right now. And um, I'm just quite enjoying Premier League fans um, getting to experience the full joys of Nathan Jones um, because he is a character he is a bit weird um, but EFL fans will have seen that for a few years now of Luton he's, he's very bitey and um, very keen to get his point across yeah I'm not sure he's uh, dragging the players with him at the moment now to one of the fiercest derbies in all of European football it's the kind of game that our rivalries we're going with are we okay one of the fiercest rivalries on the planet, really, in any sport. Uh, a game to get the hairs standing up on the back of the neck. Of course, Crystal Palace against Brighton. Mark, take it away. Yeah, um, there's a couple of angles I was contemplating on this one. Um, obviously, you look at Brighton to, to win this match because they've been one of the best teams since the World Cup break and even before then. But it, since the World Cup break, only Man United and Brentford have earned more Premier League points than Brighton. Uh, but it's form that has been noticed by the layers uh, and Emmett and his team because they're going off at pretty short prices. So when you see Brighton around 2.12 to win away at Palace at Selhurst Park, it doesn't feel quite right to me. It doesn't really leap off the page. Um, too short. Yeah, it's Brighton, uh, 2.12 away at Palace. It just, something just doesn't feel quite right there. Um, they beat Bournemouth 1-0 last week. Undav got his first start, missed a bit of a, a good opportunity, but they still created 2.5 XG, scored just the one goal, 14 shots in the box. So they're still doing good things in forward areas. Uh, well back had to go off injured and Ferguson missed out. There's talk that Ferguson might be back this week, but McAllister is from suspension and Lalana might be as well. So their, their squad will be stronger. There's a lot to like about Brighton, obviously. It's just that price which is putting me off because Palace have been really poor. Five points from seven since the break, four goals, zero from open play. Palace haven't scored from open play in the Premier League since the 6th of November, which is pretty shocking. In those eight games, they've averaged 0.38 expected goals from open play and just about six shots from inside the penalty area. So everything is stacking up here to say the price is right, just back Brighton. They're, they're still a much better team than Palace. I just can't get there at those kind of odds. So. Instead, I just think back goals because we don't care who wins when you back goals in Brighton games and there tends to be plenty of them. I was really surprised the overs at 2.12. Um, so, you know, Brighton can cover that, cover that line themselves. Yeah. 
but they also always give you an opportunity. They've considered at least one expected goal in their last 10 games, averaging 1.5 XG against in that time frame as well. We mentioned the rivalry. If Palace can't get up for a home game against Brighton, you know... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you worry about them and they are being sort of dragged into that relegation scrap people are suggesting and you know it's a bit of a worry if they continue to sort of put, uh, is the honeymoon period over for Vieira because we've been very positive about him we said oh he's changed everything they're really good fun blah 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 but the stats that you read, read out just then that's Roy Hodgson desperate and they've got so many good attacking players as well inventive players um, which is what's quite confusing really and um, I had reservations about Vieira when he was appointed as, as Palace coach and he proved me completely wrong last year whereas this year I'm kind of seeing that the Vieira we saw at Nice in Ligue 1 and starting to worry um, it started well and it faded yeah, there yeah. and you just wonder if the same thing might be happening yeah um, so yeah I just thought over two and a half goals in a Brighton game at odds against despite it being a rivalry it's landed in nine of Brighton's last ten you consider the Brighton price they've won seven of those ten so actually the hit rate for overs is better than Brighton just to win the game you expect Palace can contribute with a goal at home uh, and in those ten games we talked about with Brighton the average goals per game is 3.7 last week was an anomaly because it went under and just one goal but as I said the, J the DXG suggests they could have scored two or three themselves so yeah just seeing over two and a half goals at odds against in a Brighton game, it's almost an automatic selection regardless of opponent. It is worth noting you can get a £5 free bet when you place a £5 bet builder on Manchester City versus Aston Villa. That's on Sunday. T's and C's in the description, 18 plus. See gambleaware.org. I've got a bet builder for you just as a suggestion. You could back over two and a half goals in the game, a goal in each half and Erling Haaland to score. That comes out at 2.04. 17 of City's last 18 Premier League home games have featured at least three goals. 16 of those featured goals in both halves. And if you want to boost it further, you can chuck in over 100.5 alleged rule breaches uh, and that will boost those prices as well. London derby between two strugglers now for Emmett. West Ham against Chelsea. Good old mid-table Chelsea making the move to Upton Park. Not Upton Park. They've moved <laughs> the London Stadium. Don't go to Upton Park. It's not there anymore. Or is it? Or is it the bowling ground? Yes. Um, no, I, I've. I find Chelsea interesting. Very interesting here because at the moment, they're being total by the market. They're being priced on reputation and the expectation of the players they've added will make them a significantly better team, and that is likely to be the case in time. But I don't think it's the case at the moment, and I just I kind of want to. Yeah, like I, I wouldn't. Could you rule like, like in terms of the range of outcomes for Chelsea for the rest of the season? Like them winning the Champions League is a live possibility when you have a, players like James Ch Ch Chilwell, Fofana, the Felix, Mudrick, Enzo Fernandez. There's a high ceiling with this Chelsea team, but it also feels incredibly unstable at the moment. I think all the listeners will be aware of what of Chelsea's business in the January window, but it feels like they're kind of a sporting chemistry experiment, where like it's they're kind of chucking in all these young young assets and kind of hoping Graham Potter can stir it together and make kind of a beautiful meal out of it but it just it feels unstable and while this is a bit cliched Potter just doesn't a I don't think he quite has the standing in European football to be able to look at a squad this multi-talented squad expensive squad to be and say I'm the man for this job and I also feel like just from watching the game against Fulham last week he's about okay a couple of games away from the crowd really turning on him like they were quite unconvincing against Fulham Fulham had the better of that game for long stretches dominated the game in midfield and it, 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 I, I just I feel like 
in the short term, I definitely want to. I definitely want to take on Chelsea until they've proven that it's clicked and there's a coherent team there. If you look at the statistics on uh, for, for the season, both these sides are mid-table on expected goals, with West Ham coming out slightly ahead. West Ham are coming off probably their best best result of the season away in Newcastle again. Nothing special, but I did like to see David Moyes moving Lucas Paqueta into midfield, quite a progressive move, and leaving out Thomas Suchek, and just. For the reasons I said, I think I, I think just West Ham should should, should be shorter than three point three point four five the match here. I, I made it them closer to maybe three point oh. Again, until we see until we see a, co- a coherent Chelsea side, I'm happy to go against them. I, I'd look to take on Chelsea in the drawn up back markets here. Now let's dip into the EFL. Mark, you want to look at a very cuddly, friendly clash here? QPR Millwall. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm a QPR fan, so I get that out of the way first of all. But it's it's been pretty miserable for for quite some time. Um, we were top of the championship on the 22nd of October. Uh, in 14 games, Which year? That, <laughs> <laughs> the 14 games that have followed have brought one win and nine points. We scored seven goals in that 14 game streak. Uh, performances recently have been pretty dire. Uh, Neil Critchley has been in the job for. A, you know, just a number of weeks really, um, and already pressure is beginning to build there, which is concerning. Lyndon Dykes, our starting centre forward, um, has been in hospital. He's been discharged, but looks unlikely to feature. We just signed Chris Martin, who must be about 46 now. Um, got the turning wheel of, uh, yeah, don't even need to go there really. But um, <laughs> we've not won at home since October. Uh, conceded in eight of our last nine home games as well. So I was expecting this game to be pretty much a pick really between QPR and Millwall so very surprised to see QPR are considered favourites to win this match and uh, just have to oppose them at those prices and back Millwall draw no bet at 2.1 uh, Millwall have lost three championship games in 17 going back to the start of October they've won at Cardiff Watford Preston and Bristol City in their last eight away games uh, all of which are at least on a level with QPR if not better They've conceded zero or one goal in 15 of those 17 games I talked about uh, and just lost one game away at bottom half teams as well. They're top of the XG rolling four game table, um, which means they're playing well in the top six over a 12 game streak as well. So to get odds against or Millwall draw no bet at QPR just feels like a, a great value bet. And that's without my, my blue and white colours on. We're never going to know, but the McBeal situation obviously didn't help but am I right in thinking things were starting to slide before he went? Yeah so there was well it became it's not fact but it's been well talked about behind the scenes that McBeal has spoken to three other clubs before he spoke to Rangers he was angling for a move so everything he said publicly was was a falsehood really and a lot of the players in the squad were brought in uh, under him, as he said in those post in those interviews, saying that uh, he's brought these players here, he's in it for the long run with them. So uh, when news kind of got around, they just love he, football, was, eh? he was uh, <laughs> he was looking for a, a move elsewhere. Obviously, things started to disintegrate, but it, it's a shame, really, because we've got the makings of a good a good squad, some key players. There's been a lot of injuries, particularly at centre half, but. Um, our creative players looking a little bit burned out at the minute, and uh, Chris Woodock, one of the, the better players in recent years, is out of contract at the end of the year and looks like he's already agreed a deal elsewhere the way he's been playing, which is quite sad. But um, yeah, there we go. Happy times. While Mark has a moment to recover, we'll move to the Welsh capital, Cardiff against Middlesbrough. Yeah, exactly. I think it's, it's just interesting. Um, since Michael Carrick has kind of came into Middlesbrough, Middlesbrough have kind of turned into close to the Championship's best side. They've actually won nine of their last 11 matches in the Championship. And those two defeats have came away to, away to Burnley, who are top of the Championship by a distance, and in the kind of time where Derby away at Sunderland when they had a man sent off early in the game. 
So you've a team. I think that, like, if Carrick if Carrick had potentially been at the start of this season, this is a team that that could that could certainly have gone close for automatic promotion. And they're playing a team who are on the other other end of the spectrum. Cardiff were winless in their last eleven matches. They sacked they sacked their manager and brought in Sabri Lamucci. But there's no new manager bounce there. They've lost their last two matches. Performances next G don't necessarily say that they've they particularly improved. And just give, given those numbers, I expect Middlesbrough to be kind of a shade of odds on here. And you're getting them around two point one eight, which looks looks a fair bet to me. Let's take it into League One then. Charlton against Fleetwood, Mark. Yeah, um, both teams to score for me. Uh, 1.8, we basically got two of the, the League One leaders for both teams to score meeting at the Valley. Um, Charlton are, are really hoping to have a, a bit of a late run at the playoffs. They've won four of the last five under Dean Holden. They scored 10 goals in, in, those, in that streak as well, and they've played against some good teams as well. Uh, Bolton, Portsmouth, Barnsley and Exeter. The top six probably does look beyond their reach because uh, the top sort of 10 teams in that league are all playing pretty well and accumulating points. But um, only three sides have scored more home goals than Charlton this season. They're averaging 1.8 at home. Uh, they've scored in 13 of 15 at home and 23 of 28 overall. And their expected goals output is very strong as well. So uh, that's encouraging. Just, just defensively, they've been pretty poor. Five clean sheets all season. Three and 15 at the Valley. Uh, one clean sheet in the last 13 across all venues. And obviously that kind of marries itself quite nicely for BTTS. We've had a 68% hit rate for Charlton overall and 67% at the Valley, which is 10 from 15. Uh, they're playing a Fleetwood team, two points above the drop zone, but a team who are scoring goals, obviously progressed in the FA Cup on Tuesday night as well, so they'll be buoyed by that, beating Sheffield Wednesday. They've scored in 22 of 28, scored in 13 of 14 away games as well this season, which is actually the best scoring rate away from home of any team, and that's despite them battling relegation. The game they failed to score away was uh, um, Sheffield Wednesday, who are top of the table, so yeah, understandable, but just six clean sheets all season, three away from home, obviously that lends itself again for a, a very high BTTS rate 10 of their 14 away games have featured both teams scoring and interestingly too uh, these two teams actually are the top two for expected goals output over the last four games in League One which shows they're both creating plenty of chances in the current form couple of Bundesliga fancies for you from me. Uh, for all of their problems recently, I think Bayern Munich are going to absolutely wipe the floor with Borkham at the weekend. Uh, that's on Saturday. I'm going to back the minus 2.5 on the Asian handicap. You can get that at just a shade under evens. I know that seems quite scary to ask them to cover that bigger handicap, but they put seven past Borkham in this fixture last season. We saw a glimpse of their attacking power against Wolfsburg last weekend where they put four past them at the Volkswagen Arena. Borkum routinely awful on the road. Really good at home, just abysmal away from home. Lost 5-2 at Mainz recently, and Mainz have no, been no great shakes at home. So that's Bayern uh, minus 2.5 on the Asian handicap against Borkum. And also, over two and a half goals in RB Leipzig against Union Berlin at around about 2.18. I was really surprised to see that so big. Leipzig could be without their defensive leader, Willi Orban, because he's donating stem cells and we don't know if he's going to be uh, back. You don't see that very often in team news, but well done to him. Uh, Overs has landed in 12 of their 15 competitive home games this season. Union strong defensively in general, but away from home, less so. And eight of their last 10 games in all competitions have seen an over two and a half goals bet land. Let's take it to Spain and uh, Villarreal against Barcelona. And Emmett Villarreal uh, were uh, Dr. Villarreal recently because they were the first team to lose to Elche all season. So they've given them a nice little boost. 
Yeah, you wouldn't again. You would need to be Sherlock Holmes to know what what uh, what Beth Cummings are been consistent in terms of the my belief that Barcelona have kind of levered levered their way to the top of uh, La Liga with their kind of financial muscle. He's got like, loads of tattoos on his back in Catalan. You don't know that. But yeah, yeah, I've got a Ped, Pedri, Gabi, Lewandowski. <laughs> yeah, it's quite, quite yeah, but um, no, the I think just yeah, as as you said, Villarreal are kind of struggling for form. Their only win in their last four matches came when the kind of the opposition side had had a kind of a man sent off. And in general, they just look a team that aren't as strong without Unai Emery, Barcelona's former manager. Kike Setien is in charge there, and it's kind of again they they they, do, they do kind of a more of a decent kind of mid tableish side rather than the kind of team pushing for top four, which they were under Emery. Whereas Barcelona. They aren't perfect, but th- their squad inside is, is just is, is just far is far too good for La Liga as as they're showing so far. They've an eight eight point lead at, at, at the top. They've won ten of their last eleven matches, and I think it's just given that I think the market maybe hasn't quite uh, caught up to how, how dominant they are. And to get them at one eighty five, I'm, I'm more than happy to take that. I think this. I think it's just. Uh, I think there's. Even even if their flaws may, might be exposed against better sides in the kind of Europa League teams like Man United and Arsenal, but the Barcelona won't be exposed in in La Liga this season. Now we'll be talking about Barcelona's clash with Manchester United in our European show, which is worth checking out. Um, well, I would say it's my favourite bit of the show. I would say it's Scott Watch, but Marco Hare, there's no Scott Watch. Why? It's Cup weekend in Scotland, so the the coupon has been drastically reduced. I think he hates any, cups. He I hates hate them. cups. I really do. You know, I don't watch any of it. It's a, it's a time to have a break and, and focus elsewhere. So, um, yeah, I think there's only five games across all, all four leagues this weekend. So, four of them are in Scottish League Two. So there probably is no excuse to to not have a selection. But um, just a bit burnt by the last couple of weeks and um, need to break off like the, most of the teams in Scotland will do this weekend. He's become scared of Scotwatch. Well, hopefully. It's going to come back. But it is time for the world-famous podcast Treble, a betting feature so revered that even in the post-apocalyptic world of The Last of Us, there's a bonus level where Joel and Ellie find a smartphone just so they can listen to Mark O'Hare sneak a Scottish League Two game into the treble, although the clicking in the background does prove a little bit distracting. Now, we nailed uh, that none of that made sense to you, Mark, did it? No idea what Not you're about. No. Any of it makes sense to you? No, yeah, no, it's on the to-do list. I haven't had much Okay, to okay. Well, at least it will make sense to Emmett eventually. Uh, we nailed the treble last time, by the way, at 7.5. I'm going to start because I'm allowed to. Uh, over two and a half goals in Manchester City against Aston Villa. It's a bit skinny, 1.55, but that's the way to start. Mark O'Hare. Well, you've played it pretty safe, so um, that will change my attack and approach. Uh, so I'll, I'll just take both teams to score at Charlton Fleetwood. I think uh, 1.8 is a nice price to, to add into the treble. And Emin O'Keefe, take us home. Yeah, yeah, for all, all the reasons outlined. Uh, Middlesbrough to be Cardiff, looks to me. It looks, looks, looks like banker material this weekend. Lovely stuff. That's all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Lots of other excellent shows here on the podcast network at Betfair or even the podcast network. I don't know what a podcast network is, but there we go. I'm sure you can find it. You can find everything on the internet these days. Uh, that includes Cheltenham Only Better as our racing team builds up to the Cheltenham Festival. Loads of Cheltenham preview content will be coming up on our website as well. Betting.betfair.com. From Emmett, from Mark, from all the podcasts and from me, it's goodbye for now.